You're listening to Make and Multiply, a podcast for the people of Emmaus Road Church. My name is Ryan Chase, one of the pastors at Emmaus Road, and today I'm with Mark Christensen and Matt Groon, and we are talking about Exodus 18. Uh, this is one of the episodes we call Hear and Obey, where we're talking through the passage of Scripture that was just preached on Sunday, and our aim is to be not just hearers of the Word, but doers of the Word as well. Uh, I'm reminded when we come to passages like this, here it is, uh, an ancient text about people who lived a long time ago in a place really far from here, uh, dealing with some of their administration and organization, and um, and yet we still say that. We, we believe that um, God's word is to be applied, that it's all useful, that all of it was written down for our instruction, um, that it's God's living and active word. And so it's not just a dead book about things that happened a long time ago that are irrelevant for us or or maybe marginally interesting, but nothing more beyond that. Like it, it's actually applicable to us, all of it. And so we want to be affected by it. I'm going to read Exodus 18 and then we'll just walk through this like we do a couple basic questions. One, what do we observe? What do we notice? What's going on? Uh, what does the text mean? And then what difference does that make? What's the significance of that meaning? So here it is, Exodus 18, so that you can uh, be familiar with the text if, if you don't have a Bible in front of you or didn't hear the, the passage. Uh, Exodus 18, beginning in verse 1, Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, and he had sent her home along with her two sons. The name of the one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And the name of the other, Eliezer, for he said, the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was encamped at the mountain of God. And when he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them in the way and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel in that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord, who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh, and, his, and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods, because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sac sacrifices to God, and Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone? And all the people stand around you from morning till evening. And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another, and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice, and God be with you. 
You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God, and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens, and let them judge <clears throat> excuse me, the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you, you will be able to endure, and all this people also will go to their place in peace. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens, and they judged the people at all times. Any hard case they brought to Moses, but any small matter they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own country. God, thank you for your word. We do pray that you would help us to hear and understand the meaning of it. And we do pray that we would be affected and changed and transformed as your spirit works in us through this word. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, man. I love this story. It's a great story. It's incredible. Um, Matt, thank you for preaching this yesterday and unpacking this. I know... Uh, you spent a lot of time in this last week <laughs> as you've worked through uh, physical illness as well, <laughs> fever and a cold and, and then wrestled through this text to uh, apply it to us. That, that was helpful. What do you guys notice? What stands out to you just on rereading it again here today as we linger over this text? I think one thing you see right off the bat in verse one is somehow Jethro heard what the mm. Lord had been doing for Israel. Mm -hmm. And so one could infer that Jethro isn't the only one hearing about this, but mm. people are hearing the news is spreading. What yeah. God is doing for his people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he's heard a different message or at least a more uh, complete message, if you will, than the Amicali Am Amicalites, Amalek, Amaleks, Amalekites. Amalekites. <laughs> oh man. It's been that kind of week, hasn't it? Yeah. They have heard, mm. they obviously had not heard mm -hmm. as much as Jethro had yeah. enough that they, Messed they, with the wrong yeah, crew. They didn't fear God. Exactly. And so, um, yeah, immediately in verse one, like Mark, you were saying, you're just reintroduced to this character that in some senses we've like forgotten about. I mean, it's been a lot of chapters since we've last heard about Jethro. Mm -hmm. the, last, the last mentioning of Jethro is back in Exodus chapter four, I believe, at the end where um, after the episode of the burning bush, right before Moses heads back to Egypt, he goes and sits before um, through Jethro, he's called Ruel then, and, and asks permission to go, and Jethro lets him go. And at some point, we, we don't know when, um, but apparently at some point in the midst of the, the, the Egyptian squabble, um, he, Moses had sent back his wife and uh, for sure one son, because that's mm -hmm. what's mentioned in the text, back to to his in-laws, um, which makes sense considering yeah. all the stuff he was dealing with at the time. Um, but all of a sudden, here we go. Here's Jethro again, and he's coming back. He has heard, and now he wants to find out as well as reconnect with Moses, bring the family, mm -hmm. this big mm -hmm. happy reunion. But I think one of the difficulties that I had in figuring out a structure to this whole text is that really Exodus 18 is two separate scenes, but are both um, functioning as a, as a hinge. 
Um, one commentator that I was reading recognizes that he, he says chapter 18 is consciously constructed composition that exhibits overall unity. Goes, blah, blah, blah. As such, the entire chapter serves as both an epilogue to the first half of Exodus, Genesis, uh, chapters 2 through 17, and as a prologue to the second half of Exodus, in mm. the sense of the first scene is a recounting of all that God had done in delivering, mm-hmm. and then the second scene, uh, 13 through 27, is a um, foreshadowing of yeah. the law of God about to be given. Right. Uh, the, and, and, and that law having a function in the nation, not just as a a moral code, mm-hmm. but actually in the administration and ruling and judgment of yeah, bringing nation. order and peace to the people. Yeah. yeah. That stood out to me in verse 20 Jethro's advice to Moses. You shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. So that's foreshadowing. God is going to give very clearly at Mount Sinai, his law right. and make it clear to the people. This is, this is what God requires. And this is how you should live your lives. This is what you must do. Yeah. I, I think in that, um, the first half of the chapter as it's looking back, mm. um, the fact that Jethro, you made this point, he, he's not an Israelite. Um, and yet we have all these hints early on that the, you know, God, God has a particular dealing with the descendants of Abraham. Mm. Yes. But not in such an exclusive fashion as a lot of people tend to think mm. that God is just purely, um, you focus on one ethnic people group from the beginning. And I, I think, you know, because everything God does is on purpose. I think this is in the wisdom of God um, built into the story all the way through that there are just, there are always other people tagging along mm-hmm. and, and they're not kicked out because of that. So it, it stands mm. out to me, Jethro's not an Israelite. Um, but when he comes and he hears a report, his response is, Blessed be the Lord who's delivered you. Um, verse 11, now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods. So here he's saying, now I'm seeing it. I get it. I believe that. And then verse 12, Jethro brought a burnt offering yeah. and sacrifices to God. Yeah. And Aaron and the elders of Israel come and they eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. Yeah. So, so they have this meal together in the presence of God with Jethro, who's worshiping God because he just heard the testimony about what God just did right. on behalf of these people. And even though he didn't personally experience that deliverance, he, he has a response to the message of it to say, well, then there's no God like that in all the earth and right. I am going to worship him. Which is so shocking, really. I yeah. mean, it is shocking. And it, it, it kind of tells the story of like, you know, people who have been through something, um, some incredible hardship and have come through on the other side and Mm-hmm. Um, they've got that kind of like scorched earth look about them, right? <laughs> this like, oh, we like when you're riding the, the waves, as, as you men know, when you're going through it, you're not very consciously thinking of all that the Lord is doing. Mm-hmm. But then you tell the story to somebody and they look at you and go, that's incredible. Yeah. Praise God. And you're like, yeah, people are like, I, I feel like I'm on holy ground right yeah. now. <laughs> and you're like, whoa. Uh, yeah, I, well, I guess yeah, when yeah. you say it like that. And so it just has that, that scene has that effect to it where mm-hmm. Jethro has heard, he comes and he knows mm-hmm. and he responds by, by from, from uh, theology to doxology. He just starts worshiping God, blessing God all to the point, all to leading to, towards even a sacrifice. Right. And that the priests, the, the, priest, the, the Levitical priest of high priest of Aaron, all those guys, they're just like, oh, yeah. Yeah. That's what we should be doing. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so they're, they're almost being led by a foreigner. They're, yeah. they're being shown what, you know, 
they they're just still they're still grumbling from the lack of food and the yeah. lack of protection. They just got <laughs> over this battle, and now all of a sudden Jethro comes in and goes, "You guys don't understand. This is <laughs> hey, incredible. You guys think we should pray? Yeah, <laughs> we should yeah. thank God for this. Yeah, um, and just I think that's what was so helpful in in what I finally landed on the structure is like Jethro's picking up on like guys, you guys are being blessed mm. by God. Mm-hmm. He he is pouring out his favor on you, mm-hmm. and he is the Lord of Lords. All other gods are subservient to this God and yeah. we're going to, I'm going to worship him. And yeah. it's, it's the, the same pattern we see everywhere in scripture that God deals generously, bountifully with the people. He, he blesses them and the right response is to turn and bless God. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. worship to God is a response to how God has revealed himself yeah. and God reveals himself by speaking and acting. So here God has just acted on behalf of his people. The right response then is to worship God for that. This is what he has done. Let's thank him, bless him. So God blesses his people, his people turn around and bless him mm-hmm. in worship. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's the pattern right here. Yeah. in verse 12 uh, or verse 11, I guess Jethro is, I think he's pulling out something significant about the way that God's enemies view God and view his people. Yeah. Um, he says they dealt arrogantly with the people. Mm. Um, and so I think in a weird way, that should be a comfort to us knowing mm-hmm. that like, that's always what people who despise God, right. That's always how they view him, how that's they right. view his people. And so yes, it, it hurts. It's difficult, but like we shouldn't be dismayed. Mm-hmm. Um, we know that's going to be their initial response. Yeah. Yeah, very true. And that's the theme as we preached through Exodus um, and and all of the plagues and uh, the Exodus from Egypt. That was the theme that we saw in Scripture that God keeps saying, I'm going to make them know that I am the Lord. Mm -hmm. They will know that I am the Lord. That's what we've put as kind of the subtitle for this sermon series. And so here is the fulfillment of that. God said, as a result of what I do, they're going to know that I'm the Lord. What does Jethro say when he hears the story? Now I know that mm. there is no one like the Lord. There's no other mm. God like him. And, mm. and so that connection, Mark, right there where he's, he's seeing, they dealt arrogantly. They thought God was nobody right. or uh, their gods were greater. But clearly God was effective in what he set out to do to, to make it known that yeah. he is the great God it's over foolish all the to stand against him. Yeah. Yes. Amen. Yeah. So, Matt, I thought it was helpful when you just kind of oriented us to this text in connection to the other wilderness wanderings that we've seen and the issues that have come up that mm-hmm. you said, what, this is the, the fifth of, of five, essentially. So from here now we get to Sinai and the giving of the law, but to see this in connection with those other things like the bitter water or no food or no water um, or the Amalekites, I, I think what strikes me about this, you have in 17, the Amalekite invasion is a clear threat from outside. Mm-hmm. You, you kind of have these existential threats prior to that, like, well, we do need food to right. eat and we do need water to drink just to basic survival. Okay, got all that set. Well, then here come enemies to kill us. <laughs> that, that's kind of a big deal. Um, this one seems to be the enemy within. Mm-hmm. Like the reason um, it, Moses is standing out there all day long every day is because people have disputes that stands out to me in verse six um when he says to his father-in-law verse 16 excuse me because the people come to me to inquire of god when they have a dispute they come to me and i decide between one person and another that gives us a glimpse into life 
in the Israelite camp. Yes. There are disputes happening, like property disputes. Uh, That's where my tent's supposed to go. (laughs) Yeah. Just try to imagine what what kind of disputes could you have that are so serious that you can't just figure it out between you and your neighbor. You you need to go to the judge. It's a lot of people. It's a lot of people. And, and it just stands out to me that like what happens when you put a lot of people together disputes, right? You step on each other's toes, you bump into each other, you have disagreements, you get, Hey, can you keep it down over there? Men, just, men must be governed. Yeah. And it's, there's a sense in which you get that many people together and who happen to all be family. Yeah. <laughs> it's just one big Family. Extended family it's, it's dysfunctional a, reunion, right. and they're on the move, and they they're they hungry, they're and hungry. <laughs> they need water. They just got attacked. What could possibly go wrong? And yet, most like I just I just wonder. I mean, it must have been obvious from the jump for Jethro to be like, "This is this is chaos, not sustainable." Right? Because I mean, just the way that it's described is that Moses was just all day, every day, functioning just as a fire putter outer, mm-hmm. and he had no, like, he's also commissioned by God to lead this people and mm-hmm. to move them from A to B, to get them to the mountain of God where he will now. Because remember, in the, and this is a good setup, because in the next couple of chapters, he's about to go up on the mountain of God for like 40 days. Can you imagine the disputes that would happen <laughs> if the only guy who's here... The to, backlog at the yeah. county courthouse. <laughs> it's like, hey, man. Oh, man. Uh, the judge is out. So what a gift that Jethro is. He just comes out of nowhere and just says... And he says it... What I just so appreciate about the text is he just says it so bluntly. He yeah. doesn't like put... He's like, hey, this is... Hey, have you thought about... He just right. says, what you are doing is not... Very masculine. Good. Yes. He assertive. Just calls it and says, do this... And you will experience kind of like a father-in-law. Yeah, like it, yeah, shockingly, <laughs> like a father-in-law. Um, yeah, yeah, but it, it's just so. The one thing I tried to make clear—I don't know if this was clear—but I, I do believe that Jethro is just taking. Well, I think what he's—he's he's not. You know, I don't know if Jethro was an administrative guru or he's not coming up with some new cool strategy. He's just taking what he observed. There's, I think, there's a connection between the saving works of God in the first half of this mm. text and really in the first half of the book to this now being applied mm-hmm. out in it because that language um what you are doing is not good is coupled right along with you are not able to do it alone mm-hmm. which echo to genesis 2 realities of god saying to adam it's not good for you to be alone you need help mm-hmm. and i'm going to make you a yeah. helper yeah. and so there's always been a category where there is community there mm-hmm. is help and hierarchy and distribution yeah and jethro is the nature of the job is it's just bigger than you it's bigger than one man no no matter how big a man you think you are exactly this job is bigger than you and i think what he recognizes is the thing that is not good is not just moses's burnout because if that was like if he was really just functioning as a father-in-law he's like hey man i'm this is for your own good you can't keep doing this he recognizes that the rest of the people aren't being served yeah and so what's going to this distribution is not only spreading the load off of moses but it's actually addressing the needs of the people it reminds me of um this is another thing that didn't make didn't make the cut um you know this is this is reminiscent or a foreshadowing of the apostles assigning able men deacons to deal with a crisis like the the widows yeah um in in acts chapter five i believe that five and six um, it, it, it's not that they don't want to do the work. It's that they have things that they have to keep their eye on 
And if they take their eye off that, something suffers, whether it's the poor widows or the, the ministry of the word. Something's yeah. going to suffer. Yeah. So set up a system where that load can be distributed. And I think that what I'm getting at is I don't think it's just an effective leadership strategy. Right. I think he's actually applying the saving works of God from mm. the first part into all the nooks and crannies Everyday of the life. running of the nation. Yeah. Well, this is the second text in a row. We saw the same thing in the end of uh, Exodus 17, where we see Moses' weakness, his inability to appeal to God, to be the mediator between God and the people on his own. He needed uh, Aaron and her to help hold his hands up. Mm-hmm. And here you have um, Jethro saying, this is too heavy for you. You mm-hmm. can't do this mm-hmm. alone. And therefore, so you kind of see the, the solution finally. Mm-hmm. It seemed like a kind of a temporary solution up on top of the hill uh, in the battle against the Amalekites. But now here you have Jethro coming in, really an outside source. He hasn't seen what's happened, but he's just observing now. And he says, let me help you. This is going to help you mm-hmm. so that you can be mediator between God and the people. Yeah. And they can settle the smaller disputes. That's right. And it, you know, a critical reading of Exodus, like an unbelieving um, reading it from a, a position of suspicion. You know, mm. is this really God's word or is this man-made kind of thing? Um, I, I think people tend to read this and think Moses is just, um, he he's kind of an egomaniac. He wields all the power. He calls the shots. He, he says whatever. So, you know, how do we know this is really God's law? Isn't this just Moses making things up and telling people what to do? Um, but like you just pointed out, Mark, Exodus 17 and 18 don't fit into that perspective. Mm -hmm. Like if Moses is writing this to make Moses look good, (laughs) why does he write chapter 17 that he couldn't hold his hands up? on his own that he needed help. Why does he write chapter 18? His father-in-law looks at him and says, what you're doing is not good, son. <laughs> Here, you, know, you need help. Um, it, it just, that wouldn't make any sense. So it, anytime scripture is honest about the weaknesses and inabilities of man, which it is everywhere. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't, you can't find a single character in scripture other than Christ who doesn't have faults and flaws that are revealed. And so when Moses' weaknesses and deficiencies and inabilities come up, it, it, it points us to the fact, this is a work of God. God is saving yeah. these people. This is not about the greatness of Moses at all. He's just not the main character. Mm-hmm. God yeah. is. And this came in its time. Obviously, when the people are still in Egypt, they were grumbling. They wanted to go back to Egypt too. Right. And so they needed that one leader to lead them out. But then they get out into the wilderness, they have these experiences, these grumblings, and then finally we see Moses' weakness and the need for others. Mm-hmm. And so I would say it's not a failure right. that there wasn't help in the beginning. They needed one strong leader yep. to lead the people out yep. uh, of slavery in Egypt. Yep. And now they get out here, and I think, Matt, that's helpful to think of this as just the continuation of God's saving works. What, what did they need God to do at that time? Deliver them from Pharaoh. Now what do they need God to do? bring order into their everyday life. And then one of the things that stood out to me just in in rereading this was there are kind of two parts to this uh, advice from Jethro. uh, Verses 19 and 20, the advice is um, you represent the people before God, bring their cases to God, and warn them about the statutes and the laws. So, So the first answer is they need to be educated. They need to know what does God require of them? What are the rules? Mm-hmm. What are the laws of God for his people? Um, people need to be informed. And then the second part of it is more the, the responsive verse 21. 
look for able men from the people, men who fear God, um, who can be appointed over hundreds and fifties and thousands and uh, thousands, hundreds, fifties, tens, and let them judge the people. So first they have to know the rules. And then when there are problems or disputes or questions about the rule or violations of the rules, then somebody has to step in and, and judge there. So it's kind of two parts, which you know, we recognize um, in God's wisdom, you've got a, a legislative process and then the judicial process. Right. Somebody, it's one thing to have the rules, then they've got to be enforced. Right. And they have to be understood. They have right. to be interpreted. They mm-hmm. have to be up, not just interpreted as like, here's what yeah, they mean, applied. but here's how they apply in this case. Yep. Applied to cases. Yeah, right. exactly. And it, yeah, I think what you guys were saying earlier, it's clear from the very beginning of this text in verse one, Jethro, the priest in Midian, Moses, his father-in-law, heard all that God had done for Moses and for Israel and how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. He, he's under no pre, like he isn't just a proud father-in-law coming to see his yeah. man. Look at how this good, this guy, everybody knows, including, you know, first and foremost, Jethro and Moses, mm. that it is God himself who's been doing all of yeah. this. And it, that's, I mean, that's why Jethro doesn't offer a sacrifice to Moses. He has to offer a sacrifice to the Lord mm. because God has done all these things. And so now even in, as he sees the disorder that's taking place, the solution is still the Lord. It's still yeah. his statutes and his good thing. It's not, Moses, tell us what your cool new you know, leadership style is going to be. Oh, yeah. how cool is that? It's just quote unquote servant leadership. No, it's God himself functioning in the distribution of the, the weight that's mm-hmm. going out. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's clear in verse 23 where Jethro says, if you do this, God will direct you. Right. So, so that's the hope. This is, um, yeah, like you said, not just a, a leadership technique or an administrative approach. The, the hope is God is functionally directing his people in their day-to-day affairs by, one, informing them of what his law is and how they should treat each other, and two, uh, by providing able men to decide these disputes. When, when they hand down a just decision because, um, you know, one, it's in line with the God's law and it, they're not taking bribes, they're not showing partiality, then they can accept and trust God is directing here. Right. God is pointing out this is, this is the right way to handle this situation. And so God is involved. I, I think that's, that's crucial to see about what's going on here. Exactly. And, and going and finishing that, that verse, if you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure, meaning... Mm-hmm. The load is spread out enough that nobody's yep. going to quote unquote, burn out. It's sustainable. That's right. And it's, and it's replicable. It's, mm-hmm. As you grow, it's just easily reproduced. As you shrink, it's easily scaled back. Mm-hmm. It's, it's replicable. But also the critical pieces, and, and all this people will also go to their own place in, in peace. peace. Yep. That, that peace is so critical and it's so count. That's what I was trying to get at. It's so counter to our current culture, mm. which says any hierarchy is the opposite of peace. Yeah. It's actually oppression. Any differences, any un, any um, any hierarchy, immediately assumes that somebody's stolen yeah. from somebody, yeah. and somebody's got to give it back. Somebody's oppressing, wronging, lording, right. lording over. And so the claim that then this hierarchy structure that there are differences in in like yeah. and in kind actually produces peace in the people that is that's so encouraging that's such a promise mm-hmm. and, I, and i think here in verse 23 you see in the end this is grace to moses um yeah he's gonna burn out he's gonna die in the wilderness uh because of being overstressed overworked um 
And so one, it's, it's a grace to Moses and it's a grace to the people. Um, yeah. I can think of just my own experience I was leading in college ministry and then started and early on I had a friend coming to me and tell me I couldn't do it on my own, <laughs> that I needed people around me. Um, and by God's grace that provided for the longevity of the ministry, yeah. um, over years. And so, um, yeah, it's just God's grace when, um, people come along to give the hard word mm-hmm. that, Hey, you can't do this alone. Uh, this is too difficult for you to bear on your own. Yeah. Um, and it gets spread out and mm. yeah. Yeah. I, it, the word that was going through my mind was adjudication. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's, you might be the only one who had that word. <laughs> maybe <laughs> I, I can think one or two others who yeah. may have thought of that word as well, but, um, you, you know, that we, that's what we call it in our book of church order. Um, you know, the, the, policies the the procedures that are set up to handle what do you do when there are disputes between believers within the church what, what do you do when there's sin that happens between people um and on the one hand obviously we don't want that to happen and we hope that by god's grace that's pretty infrequent but at the same time we shouldn't be surprised that it does because we are sinners saved by grace and so we just know we're going to sin against each other um and so to have things set up to handle that God's way is such a huge blessing. When you can adjudicate, when you mm. can um, hear two sides of an issue and um, get to the bottom of it and make a just determination of you know, who's in the right and who's in the wrong and what should be done about it. Um, so I'm just so thankful that we have a process like that. Right. Uh, within our book of church order. We say this all the time when we teach on our polity in our foundations retreat. We love church polity the way that we love uh, a home security system and a home alarm, you know, not because we love the security system, the cameras and the alarms, but because we love the people that it protects. Um, We love the people who are members of the church and to have a process for adjudication uh, is a protection for people. when you are sinned against, everybody wants to be able to go somewhere with that claim and and somebody, everybody wants something to be done about it. We should want justice to be done, um, which means dealing with things God's way. And so just the fact that God deals with that, that that this is God leading and directing his people, these principles of wisdom carry over, not just to Israel in the desert, but like you were saying, Mark, for a college ministry. Okay, there's wisdom here in spreading out the load and having other people bearing the load. Um, Within the church today, we see in the New Testament, oh, look, God has spoken and given us clear directions for how the church is supposed to be set up and and governed and what we should do when there's sin within the church, a process for church discipline so we can handle that God's way. Um, This for our own good. And this is how God directs us. And these are all just shadows really of... Of the true of the true dispute that was settled yes. right, at, at the cross, that that was where God adjudicated all of our sin. Yeah, and He did it. The only way He could do it without destroying us is by laying it all mm. on Christ. Oh, Christ. So Amen. you talk about bearing load. Christ bore all of our sins, mm-hmm. all all of all all of the junk that we should have been evenly distributed mm-hmm. amongst us. It's poured out on one man, and in that, God Himself judged. Human or judged his church yeah. so that we might have peace. Mm-hmm. So th- this is all just foreshadowing types and shadows. But the beauty of it is, is this is like you were saying, this is why Mark with the, 
with the with the college ministry in our church the the plurality of elders that yeah. that we are after this adjudication process it's all gospel functioning mm. it, it really is pictures of Christ and and how he has dealt with our sin mm. not in sweeping it under the rung but actually dealing with it in a yeah. just and godly in a just and, and full way gives us hope that not only can we have you know what Paul says in First Corinthians or Second Corinthians five. We can have this ministry of reconciliation yeah. because we have been reconciled That's right. to God. So there is a way that we can actually go. Um, we can settle disputes amongst each other, mm-hmm. and then we can actually get to an answer, mm-hmm. and maybe one that might not feel great for yeah. everybody, but we can actually reconcile yeah. because we've been reconciled to God. That's good. Yeah, and and the fact that it is. It, one particular manifestation of God's continuing work among us and his, his saving power among mm-hmm. us. Um, God manifests himself. So even here, I'm just struck by it. Like they, they had visual, that uh, they saw the pillar of fire, the cloud by, by day and the, the fire by night. Um, when we get to Mount Sinai, they're going to see the mountain smoking and on fire and they're going to feel the ground tremble. So, so they had these visual displays of the, the power and the presence of God. And yet, how did God manifest his direction and rule among them? Hey, here's an able guy who's going to be over these 10 people. So if a dispute comes up among you 10, you, you go, go talk, talk to, to Joe and he will tell you, uh, you know, he'll apply God's word rightly in your situation. And that is a manifestation of God's rule among them yeah. just through ordinary Joe telling them, you know, I, you're in the wrong and why don't you apologize and return the, he's able, whatever able that you took. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it, it's incredible. It's, it's a, it's a, an encouragement to me today to, to, you know, we think this way about, um, Ephesians four says Jesus, when he ascended into heaven, he gave gifts among men and he gave to the church apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So these are manifestations of God's generosity to us. So it's yes. not like, well, Jesus is up in the clouds and we just think about these imaginary gifts that he gave. No, he, he manifests his rule and reign on earth in our midst through people with flesh and blood Real in people. the everyday stuff of life when yeah. disputes come up among us. So it's just, it's incredible. All right, we're over time. This is a great text. So many more things that could be unpacked and applied, but thank you guys. You bet. Mm-hmm.